People, a podcast giving a Christian perspective on news, politics, hot topics, and so much more. Hosted by Rodney Nesmith, worship pastor at New Light Fellowship in Lovelock, Nevada. This week, Pastor Rodney and his special guest, Michelle Mortensen, talk about the problems at the border and how the church can respond. The fourth episode of We the People starts right after this quick commercial break. told me about Mr. Clean Magic Eraser and his exact words were, it changed my life. I used to spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to remove tomato sauce from inside our microwave and soap scum off the bathtub. It's like seriously magic and my secret weapon for cleaning the kitchen, bathroom, doors and walls and even keeping my sneakers clean. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, greatest invention ever. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, the unicorn of cleaning. time for the latest episode of We The People. Here's Rodney. Hey everybody, this is Rodney Nesmith for We The People podcast coming to you again. And uh, today we have Michelle Mortensen with us again, and we're going to be talking about the southern border and all the issues that uh, go along with our border being as open as it is. Uh, the drugs that are pouring in, fentanyl issues, and uh, just talk about uh, immigration in general. So here's Michelle. Michelle, good to see you again. Thank you for being good, here. Good to see you. Um, good to be here. It's going to be my last episode with you guys for a while as you're bringing in some other guests. So uh, glad to be here and to uh, chat with you about this. So what is on your heart about the church and this issue? Well, I it affects this whole thing, the whole border issue really affects everybody. They, everybody thinks it's just a border, a state border issue, those states that border Mexico. But with everything that's going on, it literally affects every state because fentanyl is coming in through the southern border, which is affecting every state. And um, we've got a lot of deaths happening from fentanyl. People thinking they're getting one drug, they're getting another laced with fentanyl, and they end up dead from taking one pill, which they thought was something completely different. But the church is affected because it, well, it affects every neighborhood. So it affects the church in every neighborhood in one way or another, um, because we're getting people into the, into the country, not coming legally, which I am not anti-immigration in any way, shape or form. What I am is I'm anti-illegal immigration. Um, I have no problem with people coming here legally if they you know they do it the right way do it according to the laws of our country and uh i have no issue with that whatsoever but uh, again the church i think can be introduced into this more than it has been for the simple fact that i think that there's more the church could do to help people that are coming in that do get in and that are dealing with uh all kinds of issues they're dealing with uh you know probably homelessness for that matter. They're getting uh, bust all over the country. And I don't know how much the church is actually getting involved in that. Um, and whatever the issue is, is, I think the church needs to get more involved in it, especially when they find out it's a local where there's a localized issue with from the immigration issue. 
Yeah, I think I take a different perspective on this because what I heard from you were a lot of Republican talking points and I'm a Republican. So, I mean, I share those talking points, but, you know, the border issue is every state is a border state. That's a Republican talking point. We support legal immigration, not illegal immigration. That's a Republican talking point. And what I always like to remind everyone is that the church is made up of the right and the left. And when I think about the border, when it comes to the way the church has responded, it's been the way that the the left or the world has said, well, the church, you're supposed to, you know, what does the Bible say? That you're supposed to take care of the least of these, that mm-hmm. you're supposed to take care of, you know, immigrants, that you're supposed to take care of people who are in prison. You're supposed to take care of children. And that actually that the Republican stand or the Republican point of view on this issue is actually, uh, they say it's anti-biblical, that we are not being godly, that we are not acting with love, that we are not being the the caring people that we're supposed to be. They kind of say we're a bit more like the Pharisees who are like, oh, no, we don't want those Samaritans over here. They're, they're, not, they're not part of us. They shouldn't be here in Israel. We're the special ones. We're the Pharisees. That's how the world has kind of viewed the church's response to everything. So I think if we're going to talk about this issue. You can't talk about it from Republican talking points or from Democrat talking points. We really need to be talking about what the church should be doing because the church, while as a a Republican member or a Democrat member of the church, you can have a lot of opinions on legal immigration versus illegal immigration. The big question is, what does the church think about this for people? So for for example, people always say there's tons of children crossing the border and these children need a better life. I agree 100%. These children need a better mm-hmm. life. I also know that many of these children are being trafficked, that many of yeah. these children are taking treacherous journeys, um, trying to cross the Rio Grande River and potentially dying. And it's very dangerous and they're very scared and they're very alone. So nothing about this situation is godly or right. And so it's, It's interesting to me because the proper response from the church is we should be trying to take care of anyone who comes across this border. And that is a different issue than whether they should be and what the legal system should be doing and whether they should be sending them back or not. The church's response should always be love and taking care of the least of these. Agree. I agree with that. Um, I have no problem with that whatsoever. And the church should be doing that. Um, how well they're doing at it is another story. Um, I don't know how well they're doing at it, to be very honest, uh, because I don't really hear a whole lot or read a whole lot about how churches are getting involved with um, children or families or whoever it is that is coming across the border, whether it be uh, whether they were trafficked or whether they made the journey on their own or whatever the case, however they got here. The fact is they're here and uh, the church needs to find ways to help these people, uh, to minister to them and to see, you know, what their needs are and protect them if necessary from cartels and traffickers and and those kinds of things that uh, are coming along with the border issue. Right. I mean, I think the biggest problem, and you kind of hit it on the head, is that the church doesn't really respond to that. And that's because the church has become overly partisan as well, where you're either a church that's on the right or you're a church that's on the left. And if you're on the right, you think, you know, everything that Trump did with the border was correct and everything that Biden did with the border is wrong and and vice versa. What's interesting is, you know, just recently on July 29th, the Biden administration kind of quietly started rebuilding the wall again over in Yuma. Um, And that was such a, you know, that was such a, a, a huge, 
uh, a sticking issue for so many. You know, people criticized Trump so much with build the wall. They thought that he just wanted to keep all Mexicans out, that he was just, you know, this this racist man. But at the end of the day, if we just look at the issue of a wall, walls have never been racist. Walls have never been um Anything other than a wall. When when Reagan right. talked about he wanted to see us as a shining city on a hill and that there was a wall around that and that the doors of the wall could be opened and the doors of the walls could be closed. That's exactly how it should have been. That's a very biblical example of how a city or a country would be protected by a wall like Jericho for, for that matter. You know, we have the mm -hmm. story of Jericho in the book of Joshua where the city of Jericho is surrounded by these very, very high walls and there's gates to get in, but you wouldn't be able to just like climb then and overtake the city because they were super high walls. You know, it had to be an act of God where God had the walls come tumbling down for those to crumble. So having exactly. a wall to protect us is not necessarily a bad thing. And it's, it's sad that that became politicized. And as a result of this border issue becoming overly politicized, the church has kind of taken no stance whatsoever. And honestly, we should be doing outreach, particularly for those kids who are on the border. Maybe not churches in Nevada like we are, but churches in Texas, I'd imagine those that are on the border, those that are on Brownsville and other places, I imagine they're just inundated. And I hope that they have resources but at the same time, I know people are just angry that this is happening. So I don't know how the church is responding. And that's really sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, the, trying to find, trying to find out how the church is responding has been very difficult because you really can't find out anything about it. I mean, I guess um, if you really wanted to find out, I guess you could call churches down in those areas along the border. Maybe I don't know. But you certainly don't hear about it in the news anywhere about um, how involved churches are or if they're involved with uh, helping kids or helping families or or any of that. At least I haven't heard about it. I'll, I'll put it that way. I think it's just sad that we've come to this point because when we were building the wall, whether you were for it or against it, when we were funding ICE and funding Border Patrol, we were in a much better position than we are today, where today we have an open border. And... I don't think there's I don't think there's many Americans, I don't think there's many Christians who want to deny people an opportunity to come to this country. But it's always kind of baffled me this idea of of open borders because I, I think if you go down to South America, you know, Brazil's not touting its open borders. Uh Colombia's not touting its open borders. Argentina's not touting open borders. You go to Europe, France isn't like, yay, open borders. Uh Spain's not like, yeah, anybody and their brother come in. Italy, anybody and their brother come in. They everybody right. has borders, everybody has rules. And mm -hmm. I don't know how the liberal left was able to take this issue and make it that open borders are humane, that open borders are right, that open borders are showing compassion, that open borders are, make sense because there's, there's no part of it that that open borders make sense. There's no part of allowing terrorists to be able to come through the border illegally and just come into this country that makes sense. And, right. and my biggest fear has been, you know, 
we walk this fine line after 9-11, which we're going to have the anniversary of here in about a, a month and a half or so. Um, you know, we walk this fine line where after 9-11 freaked out and you couldn't wear shoes when you're going through airport security. <laughs> we, we, we really stressed out because we didn't have any precautions whatsoever. And, and it's so funny that here we are 20 years later and we're just saying, yeah, open up the border. Who cares who comes over? It's it's humane. That's what's compassionate just to let anyone over. So do we need another 9-11 for people to wake up and say, oh, uh, no, maybe we shouldn't have open borders. I mean, it's just kind of preposterous to me. And even the fact that Biden did this in, under the dark of night and nobody's really talking about it, he started rebuilding the wall. It just shows the hypocrisy of it all. And it's so frustrating because common sense should prevail that protecting your borders and just not letting anybody in makes sense. You wouldn't just let anyone into your house. You wouldn't just let anyone into your core circle of friends. You wouldn't just let anybody in anywhere. That's not showing yeah. compassion. That's actually foolishness. Yeah, it is because you then have no control over who comes in. And like you said, you wouldn't just let anybody into your house. And then <laughs> the, the with them trying to start rebuilding the wall, I found this kind of humorous is the fact that, you know, this has been pretty a pretty quiet issue, even though I had heard about it. And then the White House press secretary got questioned about it. And she goes, oh, no, we're not rebuilding the wall. We're just cleaning up the mess that the other administration left in this in this area and this and that. And it's like, well, have you talked to some other people in the White House administration? Because they're saying something completely different. So it's like you're getting two different messages from the same administration about, yes, we are. And then, oh, no, we're not. We're just cleaning up the mess that the other administration left. And we agree again to your point. We have with the board open border, we have literally no idea who's coming across that border. It could be terrorists, it can be drug cartels, it can be gang members, it can be just kids, it can be just women, it can be whoever. But again, they're cut there. This is a dangerous situation for for especially for kids and and women more so. I, it's a treacherous journey. They're going through the desert. They've got to cross a river that is dangerous in and of itself. And we've seen people die trying to get across that river. And it's like, how do you think again to your, what you said, this is not humane about how this is coming about in any way, shape or form. Right. And the liberal would argue that these people are leaving such horrible conditions that they're willing to take this treacherous journey just for an ounce of freedom. And I'm I'm actually I get that. You know, I get that. If it's so bad, you're willing to do anything. If you're willing to put your life on the line for a better life for you and your children, I totally get that. And that's where, you know, the I think the bigger issue is we've needed immigration reform for quite some time and immigration mm -hmm. reform should never have been, well, you know, if your sob story is good enough or you came from a country that had, you know, really bad cartels, you know, oh, well, we'll just let you in. No, it should never have been that way. It should have been, we should make the process easier. And, and the problem is, is that we don't make the process easier. And mm -hmm. some people probably even bristle at that a little bit. Michelle, make the process easier. Well, it can cost you 10, 20, $30,000 to become a U.S. citizen, just hiring the lawyers and going through the process. That's yeah, what's unnecessary. That's what's, that's what's kind of ridiculous to me, obviously there's going to be a financial cost because if I wanted to go mm -hmm. to France right now and become a French resident, um, there would be a cost. 
Um, right. If I wanted to go become a Canadian, there would become a cost. So we can't act like mm -hmm. there should be no cost to any of this. But we have created a very convoluted system where people get easily scammed, easily taken advantage of, where they can be waiting to become an American citizen. They can be on this list for 20, 30 years. And that's ridiculous. We yeah. don't have any way that we're tracking anyone. We don't have any way that we keep track of anyone when they come over. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got people doing things on the honor system right now. Just nothing makes sense. Nothing is orderly. Nothing makes sense. And that to me is this biggest sign that this is not godly because I believe when God does things and when God is in things, there's order. There isn't Absolutely. chaos. And, and so everything about this administration and the way that it's handled the border has been total, total chaos. And uh, it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate for us as a country. It's unfortunate for the people who come across here. And it's unfortunate for our safety because we honestly have no idea who's come across. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, the, and they are getting taken advantage of by cartels, coyotes, you know, human traffickers that, you know, the coyotes promise to, you know, you pay me this much money, I'll get you to the U.S. and blah, 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 blah. But then there's no guarantee of that either. And women are getting abused. Women are getting raped on the way here. Children are getting abused. They're getting sold. I mean, if, yeah. yeah, the whole thing is just horrible from the word go. And again, we have no way to know who's coming into the country. We have, you know, the Border Patrol said, yeah, there's been like 2 million, you know, come across the border, but then there's been seven to 800,000, what they call getaways, that they don't even know where these people went uh, or who they are. And it's just like the whole thing is just one colossal mess. And it's like you said, it's convoluted. It's expensive to become a citizen. It needs to be streamlined. And it shouldn't cost that much money. And also, I i mean, it's insulting. At least I think it's insulting. I would be insulted if I was an immigrant who came here legally, paid the money, did the wait, took the citizenship, did everything the right way. And now people are just flooding across the border willy nilly and, you know, and disappearing into the country and nobody knows who they are or where they went. And they're they're getting they're doing it for free. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if people, I mean, I know quite a few people who've gone through the process and I don't know if anger is the right word. I think it's just frustration for the way that the system works. And again, I think it goes back to, you know, what is the church doing? And and the fact of the matter is most people most people have no idea what's going on with the border and most people don't care. And the reason why they don't care is because it's not being beaten down their throats every day. You know, when you were being told Donald Trump had kids in cages, people who never turn on the news were like, Oh, that's abhorrent. I hate that. You know, that's so awful. And then when you give them some facts, like, well, it was actually, it was actually Obama who had the kids in cages, you know, Oh, Biden's using the same exact cages. Look at this. The pictures aren't great. Nobody cares because the media is not making a big deal about it. And I guess that's another place where the church should really be stepping in, particularly churches along the border, I would hope, um, that they're the ones who are making this relevant. They're the ones who are bringing out the information because no one trusts the news anymore. No one's watching the news anymore. And so for us to really be helping people in those areas, the church is really the one that needs to step up. If the common theme every week 
of this podcast that I've been on with you has just really been that the church needs to step up. And, and some might say mm -hmm. that that's a very negative view that we're always like, Oh, the church isn't doing enough. The church <laughs> isn't doing enough. But, but the fact of the matter is that we as a church, we, as, as the big C church, not little C church, right. we should be doing more. We should be doing better. We should be far more aware and in tune because I think the saddest thing is that most people are just, they're, they're dull. They're, they're, they don't even know what's going on. They don't even hear it anymore. They don't care anymore. They, right. they care about what they're going to watch on Netflix that night. Uh, they care about what they're going to do with their kids that weekend. They're not even paying attention to what's going on in the news. And unless, you know, somebody's beating it down their throat, uh, they, they, they have no idea what's going on. I mean, no one's talking about the border. This is a non-issue. It's a non-issue this election year. It's a non-issue currently. It's a non-issue in the state of Nevada. This is not an issue that is of importance. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not an important issue, Correct. but it means that the politics and the powers that be are not making it an issue of importance because it's not a, a, a chip that they can use to their advantage at the moment. This is going to be a year that's all going to be about Roe v. Wade. It's all going to be about safety. It's all going to be about the economy. It's all going to be about inflation. That's what the key issues are. So unless you're talking about that, yeah. it's it's totally irrelevant. And and I guess the sad thing is, is that the border has become an irrelevant issue to the majority of Americans because neither Republicans or Democrat want to use it as their bargaining chip to get elected. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you, I have listened to a lot of politicians, especially since we're in primary season, and I have heard very few, hardly any, even mention the border, um, other than Carrie Lake, who is trying to be governor of Arizona. She is basically the only one I've even heard bring that up. Um, and so, yeah, it is pretty much a non-issue, which is sad because it... Is well, an it, issue. <laughs> it is an issue for Arizona because Arizona is a border state. They sure. have border crossings there. But it, the fact of the matter is here in Nevada, if you're kind of talking about the border, you're just trying to placate to a certain base because it honestly, it doesn't affect us. Um, the, the border, we, Governor Sisolak of Nevada uh, passed a law in the 2021 session that basically made it easier for immigrants to be here. So illegal immigrants, it was a, uh, it was dubbed the keep Nevada working bill, which was really kind of stupid. This was one of Selena Torres's stupid bills. Um, <laughs> and it was about giving, you know, illegal immigrants, the ability to start small businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it kind of changed and morphed. It's still called Keep Nevada Working. But instead of focusing on giving them small businesses to own, it's really about making it easier for illegal immigrants to come here and to get free services to be here. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those issues that like in Nevada, we really should have harped on. People like to talk a lot about Nevada being a sanctuary state. Is Nevada a sanctuary state? Is Las Vegas a sanctuary city? You know, at this point, I don't think any of us truly, <laughs> truly know the answer to this, depending on whom you talk to. We are, we aren't. The, the, the fact of the matter is the courts got involved. And that's why, at least in, in Clark County, we became a sanctuary city. It was because of the courts. It was because of city council. It didn't have anything to do with the police. But th it's not a huge issue for the state of Nevada. If you ask the majority of Nevadans, you know, what's a top issue for them right now, the border is not going to come up because it doesn't affect us on the day to day. Right. Yeah. The big issues are going to be people with people is going to be the economy. It's going to be inflation. It's going to be gas prices. It's going to be things that affect them directly on a day to day basis. And, uh, you know, for especially for Nevada, like you said, the border doesn't happen to be one of those issues.
Um, no. where, whereas our gas prices definitely are a daily issue. Grocery prices are a daily issue. Inflation, um, you know, it affects everything and makes everything more expensive. So that is definitely a daily issue for every one of us. And that's why I think the church should care more about what's going on the border, because those children that are being left behind, those children that are separated from their families, those uh, these people who are coming over. And in, in many respects, they, they don't speak English. They don't have any mm -hmm. money. They don't have any food. They don't have anywhere to go. It's contributing to so many other issues. If the government isn't going to step up, that's always where I go. Well, then the church should. And right. the church stepping up and helping these people is not condoning what's being done. And I think that's something that's, that's a, that's a big, the church needs to understand that more and more just because you're helping someone, just because you're showing the love of the Lord, just because you're extending um, love the way that, that Jesus would have does not mean that you're condoning it. Correct. See, God, Jesus showed love to everyone. He didn't condone what the woman in adultery did. He showed her love. He mm -hmm. didn't condone the woman, uh, condone the woman at the well being with multiple men. He showed love to the woman at the well. And so that's where I think the church gets this confused. I think they think helping anyone out is almost like condoning it. Like if we help a family that crossed the border illegally, then we're condoning it. No, 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 no. You're doing the right godly thing. And the right godly thing might be just making sure they're okay here while they go through the process with the government and they may get sent back to their country. But remember, they don't even have to go back to their country. They don't have to go back to Guatemala or wherever they came from. They could go to Mexico. They could go to Canada. There sure. are options. The fact mm -hmm. that the majority of the people who cross the border illegally these days are from like places like, you know, Cuba and, 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 and other, you know, island countries, uh, Haiti and other places. It's like, how the heck did you get here? Well, they're obviously flying to Mexico to cross. <laughs> exactly. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not, oh, it's not always as people see. And the church really should be stepping up to show that love, to, to love one another, treat others as they would be treated themselves. And to realize that loving this community is not condoning the illegal crossing. And if I could get churches Absolutely and if I correct. could get, if I could get Republicans to understand that, I, I think it would help a lot with the, the church is often accused of being full of hate. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's often because they were the ones chanting, build that wall, build that wall, <laughs> and then yeah. simultaneously saying, lock her up, lock her up. Because there was just this time where Christians freaking lost their minds and they stopped being Christians and they just got really angry and they acted like their anger was righteous anger, but they weren't acting like Jesus in the temple, flipping temple tables. They were just being uh, partisan jerk offs. And they got so into saying that, that they kind of forgot the mission, which is taking care of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And we have to, like you said, just keep the, uh, keep the love at the forefront period of whatever the issue is, whether it's border or LBGTQ issues or whatever the issue may be. If we don't keep Christ's love at the forefront of it, we lose all effectiveness as the church and as Christians because, <laughs> I mean, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to do what Jesus would do, and he would show them love. He would show them compassion. Again, not necessarily condone bad behavior or wrong behavior, but he would show them love first and foremost. 
Yes, and I think we could all, I think even churches in Nevada and other places that really aren't as affected by the the border. And yes, I know that people are being flown and bused to other cities. But if if we could just be honest for a minute, this is a bigger issue for Texas and Arizona and, you know, states like that than it is California, than it is for Wyoming. Yes, they might be bust up to Wyoming. They might be bust up to DC, but the people who are really feeling this right now are Arizona, California, and Texas. And those are the places where I wish that we were just doing more as a church for the people instead of relying on the government. Because also, if we if we will be honest, the government has has failed these people. Not only have they just, you know, locked them up in cages with their little aluminum foil blankets, um, letting them go anywhere, not really even testing them for COVID. Like Mm-hmm. It, it they we've let them down because that's not a better life and we're basically saying let's bust you off somewhere we're not going to follow you anymore and and good luck hope it works out for you in the end and you're basically condemning them to a life of poverty you're condemning them to a life of you know not a a full family unit that's protected and and going to give you the best life possible. You're really setting them up for failure. And that's what's bad. And and what's sad is a life of poverty and failure, we're telling you that that's better than the life that you did have where maybe cartels are running all over the place. We may not have cartels the way that Guatemala and Colombia have, but we have gangs and we have drugs and we have the same problems. And if you're stuck in a life of poverty, it's not like you're getting away from that. You're not getting away from the shootings. You're not getting away from, we're, we're not any better. We're just more civilized, I guess, if you will, than Guatemala and Colombia, but we're not any better. Right. We all have the same issues. I mean, um, I mean, let's, I mean, let's face it. There's, there's sin and poverty and everything everywhere in the world, no matter where you go. Um, and again, if, they don't come if they come here like they have been and then nothing nobody helps them they're really not are they really going to be any better off here than they were where they came from probably not they need education they need jobs they need housing and the problem is is that We've got crappy education as it is. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're taking we're ruining education every day. We become more woke and we keep bringing wokeness to our classrooms. Um, so so education we're not providing housing. We have huge housing shortages. We have huge mm-hmm. problems with affordable housing. We have food shortages. So it's it's just it's ridiculous that we're acting like the compassionate thing to do is just let anybody into this country and then let them fend for themselves. That is not compassionate. That is not right. And we are reaching a point that if we continue to let these liberal policies just take us over, it's going to become too much for the church to ever do. First off, the church isn't doing anything. And then secondly, when it becomes so overwhelming, even if the church wanted to get its act together and start doing things, it's not going to be able to because the problem is too pervasive. The problem is too big. Too big. Yeah. When it gets too big, there's really the church, like you said, there's not a lot we can do because it's, it's overwhelming. Um, it's like throwing, it's like throwing a pebble in the ocean. You know, it's like, yeah, there's a little ripple, but it did, did it really affect anything to any extent? No, because you've got an ocean. But they also aren't doing anything. So like, Elevation Church in North Carolina does a lot and gives to a lot of different groups. So, you know, I'll give them a shout out, but the majority of churches, that's not what their focus is. Correct. And, and I get that not every church is going to be, not every church is going to have that missional focus 
of serving people and giving back to the least of these. The mm -hmm. problem is, though, is that we don't have enough churches that have this as an institutional makeup of who they are so that it can be replicated and so that we could start addressing the problem. It just kind of goes back to that the majority of churches are just completely ineffective. They're tiny little buildings with maybe a hundred people that don't actually do anything. Maybe they, they affect like a few people in their neighborhood or their backyard, but they're actually not reaching the masses, not in the way that that they should. And that's a condemnation on all of us in the church because church gets to be a little too comfortable and mm -hmm. we only want our type of people there. Oh, we only want people from these types of neighborhoods there. Oh, I don't know if I want that. Oh, I don't know if that's going to open up the door for the type of people we want because you want tithing or whatever the heck you want. Um, so we just have not been very good about serving the least of these. You know, it's usually the little inner city church that has the soup kitchen that's doing the most. Yeah. And, you know, they got 50 people and what impact are they making? They're making an impact in those few lives. But I'm just saying in order to make a huge impact at this, you'd have to have something institutional that's easily to replicate that could be done in a mass fashion. Because one or two little inner city churches making a difference is fantastic, but it's not enough. Right. Yeah. They're, like you said, they're they're affecting a few people, but they're not affecting the bigger issue and the bigger numbers of people. And again, the church, well, the church and pretty much everybody is looking to the government to do something about it. Well, obviously they're not. So somebody's going to have to step up to the plate at some point and it should be the church. I just don't know if it will be the church is, I guess, my biggest concern. It should be the church. But will it actually be the church? I think probably the church far too often has the attitude of let the government take care of that. Like it's the mm -hmm. government's problem that we have a border crisis. So it's the government's responsibility to fix it. And I guess I would just argue that the church needs to have a different attitude and that that attitude should not be let the government take care of it. Because let me tell you, the government took care of it in COVID. And we had some <laughs> governors like Gavin Newsom that shut churches down, said you couldn't sing, said you couldn't pray. Mm -hmm. um, so Y'all need to shut up about wanting the government to get involved. Yes, absolutely. At the yeah. same time, y'all need to shut up about some of the stuff that Trump said, too, because Trump said he wanted that Muslim ban. And right away, that should have been a red flag for every Christian because you aren't a Muslim is not a nationality. A Muslim is a religion. So the minute you start banning a religion in this country, you make it really easy for somebody to come up and say, you know what? I'm going to ban Christians because I just don't like those folks. And I've got all this proof on how Christians are so bad and we need to get rid of them. We should never be banning a religion. Now, that does not mean that you should from time to time say, hey, I'm not going to let certain people from this country <laughs> in because in the world we live in today with COVID, there might be some shutdowns with terrorists. There might be some shutdowns. I'm not saying be stupid and let everybody in, but I am saying that the government you shouldn't want the government involved as the church. The church should quit saying the government should handle this. The church should quit looking to politicians to make the be the solutions. The church should always be looking to be the solution. And that's the one thing that I wish yeah. that they would change most of all, because not everybody, like, honestly, the border issue, I, I, I 
am I going to like go down to the border? Am I going to personally going to try to like take care of kids? Probably not. That's, that's not, I don't live in Texas anymore. If I was in Texas, I probably would be doing it, but I'm here in Nevada. So I don't know that that's the best use for our church time. But the problem is, is that the churches aren't activated or interested in anything. So they're really not helping anything, but their little tiny congregation of a hundred people that aren't affecting anyone else. I mean, some of these churches have had the same hundred people for a hundred years. I was just going to say for a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so they're not, they're not growing. They're not making a difference. And if we're, if we're going to be having some cold, hard truth, it means you're not being effective. If you are, if you are a church and you are growing, you are either growing or you're doing more and more outreach. One of the Baptist churches in town, I love this church and they do outreach nonstop. And it doesn't always yield the rewards of a larger church membership, but mm -hmm. it yields rewards in lives touched, lives changed. And that's why I really support this particular church a lot in everything that they do, because they're the one of the few that I see going out into the community, going out into the apartment complexes where there's a ton of undocumented people and, and bringing them school supplies and doing what needs to be done. Instead of being all judgy, like you're illegal and you don't even belong here. They're like, you know what? I'll give you a backpack because you're going to school anyway and you need it. And mm -hmm. I think that should be the focus not so much. And I wish all churches had more of that focus. And, and sadly, they just, they, 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 they don't, or, you know, each church is doing it, but they're doing it for their little, their little organization that they help like Ele Ele elevation church. I'm not going to say much bad about them. They give a lot of money to a lot of people. And if you are one of their organizations that they want to give money to, lucky you, but there's a bunch of other organizations they don't even know yeah. about who they don't give money to. So who, right. who who's helping them? You know, I just think we need to, we need to widen our perspective. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like I've said before, we're a little church in a little rural town, but we do a backpack program every year for anybody. It isn't for just for church people, or it isn't just for whoever it's for whoever shows up to get one and to get the school supplies that they need to go to school. And we do this every year before school starts. And, you know, that's one of the ways that we're trying to reach into the community and, and make inroads with the community. Um, we, you know, we do different things like that all the time. And then next year we're going, because there's another bigger group that is doing the backpacks also, we're going to switch our direction to help the teachers in the school with their supplies, because we all know that a lot of teachers spend their own money on their school supplies for their classes. So we're going to reach out to the teachers so that they're not dipping into their own pocket to get the school supplies that they need in their classroom. And, and I'm all for that. And I think every church does that. It was more of the bigger issue of that. We're not doing the bigger things that yes. also matter. So yes. I, I, I probably every church in Nevada is doing a school supply drive. I mean, I think we'll be hard pressed to find one that isn't right. But that's also low hanging fruit. That's an easy thing to do mm -hmm. as opposed to um, what are we doing for kids at the border? What are we doing for kids who are being trafficked? Right. What are we doing for? And so that's where it's like, we need to, that's where I think we need to expand. And this particular Baptist church that does stuff that I admire so much, what I like about them is they don't ask anyone to come to them. They don't ask a soul they go to the apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. They go directly into the heart and they're just there. And they're like, Hey, if you want it, great. If you don't, 
cool, but they make themselves available. And I don't see that all too often. I see a lot of donations. I see a lot of school supplies. I see a lot like, oh, we're giving these to foster kids. Oh, we're giving this to Project 501. Oh, we're doing this for that, which is fantastic. I love it. Want more of it. But if we're going to make real change on some of these national and international issues like open borders and what to do with the influx of people who are coming into this country who don't speak the language, don't have the education, don't have housing, maybe addicted to drugs, uh, maybe stuck in parts of the town that don't provide much opportunity, but only provide opportunity for drugs. We have to rethink how we're going to reach them. Like, I just think the church has to rethink what it's going to do to help. I agree with that. I mean, the church has to um, get out of the old mindset and we have to deal with what is now where, yeah. and I think we have not done that very well. We haven't been able to shift gears, so to speak. Um, we're kind of stuck, like I said, in that old pattern of, well, here's what we've always done. And, you know, we can't really get away from that and we don't really know how to do this. So we're not going to do that. Well, at some point you didn't know how to do any of it, but you started, you've got to start somewhere. It can, it doesn't, Nobody's asking you to change the world in one day because that's not going to happen. But right. if you don't start, you'll never do anything. Right. I agree. I agree. So I don't know that we um, we ourselves can solve the border issue and everything that's <laughs> happening there. Um, I wish I could. <laughs> I wish we could. And I wish the government could. And I wish that, you know, they would address immigration. But we just we know that's not going to happen. So mm -hmm. with knowing that that's not what's going to happen, knowing that you know, that's, that's not a solution. I just hope that the church, I hope the church overall will say the government's never going to do anything. I hope that's how they kind of have right. the government's never going to do anything. So what can we do to make a difference in our little area? And I think if we see more and more churches doing that, we're going to see more and more change. I agree because the churches, like I said, you know, no little church is going to go change the world in one day, but if you can start in little ways. You've got to start little anyway. You can't start huge because most churches aren't huge. So you've got to start small and build on something, you know, get something started and build on it. And then maybe try to partner with other churches and make it a bigger thing with multiple churches involved instead of just a church. Um, you know, that again, for me, that's the church. That's the big C church being the church is when yeah. we can put aside denomination put aside of our little petty differences of opinion on what the Bible says about this or that. Okay. We're going to have those differences because we're human. We're going to have those differences, but for the sake of reaching hurting people, we can't afford to have that get in the way. We've got to be able to just go, look, we're Christians. We believe, you know, on the basics of salvation and that's good enough to a good enough place to start to try to reach people and help the hurting. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else on the border that you, you want to kind of tackle or have we, have we done it all? <laughs> well, um, I don't know if we've done it all, but I think we've covered quite a bit of it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, but I mean, again, the bottom line is the church just needs to step up and do more and find and be innovative. We've got to be innovative. We can't be stuck in our old ways. 100%, 100%. And hopefully hopefully, um, we'll see more and more from the church uh, this year and, and, and next year, and we'll continue to see it grow and grow and grow. Absolutely. That's what we need to do.
Okay, so we're going to wrap up today. Um, and next week, Michelle won't be with us, but I do have a guest lined up, and that is my senior pastor. And we're going to talk about different issues that the church faced during the COVID pandemic and that may still be facing dealing with the after effects of it uh, today. So awesome. be sure to tune in next week. And uh, we're going to, that's the direction we're going to go for next week. And uh, hopefully it'll be good. And I think it will be. And um, so we hope to see everybody then. Michelle, thank you again for being here and for your input. It's always amazing. And uh, we hope to see, and everybody listen and share, 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 share. We the People podcast. Get it in, uh, to as many people's ears as we can. Uh, we're trying to spread good news hopefully that's what we're trying to do and the love of christ through every situation and every issue we deal with so uh tune in next week god bless you all and uh take care